0: is your nerves actually can change on a molecular level. We can't always see it. It's invisible, but um, you do get sensitized and your nerves get angry and they get red and they have a memory. So that then if you try anything on them, they will arc up much more easily than if they weren't red or angry. And I think most people tend to understand that. And they tend to identify with that. So I say what we're going to do is we're going to work on trying to reduce those red and angry nerves and make them less angry, make them more blue. So there's things that we can do as doctors, there's drugs that we can use, and there's things that you can do as a person as well for yourself.
1: Welcome to episode 31 of the Ops and Ghani Cricket Podcast. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Um, this week we have uh, the return of uh, Sonia Ting, who... who um, has returned to give us some more uh, um, advice about our um, tricky pain patients or tricky pain scenarios. Mm -hmm. Before we get into um, the podcast, I just wanted to let everyone know that um, I'm a bit disappointed because she's taken over. Her her podcast is the most downloaded one so far, so a bit disappointed she overtook my one, uh, mine and uh, Graham's one on super morbidly obese patients, so (laughs) we're 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 feeling under pressure here, Sonia.
0: People are interested in pain, Roger. (coughs)
1: She also admitted that she shared it on Facebook, so that could be something to do with it. <laughs> and uh, so in some interesting facts. I just looked up on the uh, the podcast um, platform I use. It tells you where uh, where the podcasts are being downloaded from. So we're almost up to 4,000 downloads, which is pretty good. Because yeah, when I started out, it was just Sarah Ferrugi and my mum. Uh, <laughs> and uh, now it's up to about 4,000. And most of them are from Australia, but we... Um, you can actually get a little um, detailed description of where they've been downloaded in uh, s- certain countries. So in the UK, for example, where there's been 300 downloads, there was um, 15 downloads from Southwark, for those of you who know London, but only six from Bexley. So I'm not sure what's going on there. Bexley, pull your finger out. <laughs> and in the US, New Jersey downloaded 12 episodes, but Wyoming only six, so they're not really pulling their finger out out the West either.
0: mm. The podcast is being listened all over the world, which is an important,
1: um, you know, That's impressive. right, but still, still a thousand of them, I, uh, I've paid my mum to download them a thousand times, so <laughs> so not all of them are uh, real. Um, so, uh, this week, Sonia, um, I've asked you to sort of give us some advice on some real cases, um, or some hypothetical cases that we might come across you. Um, sure. If you want to share some advice and some tips and tricks, and we'll see, we'll see how we go. Yeah,
0: sure. Um,
1: do you want me to read out the first one that I wrote? Um, yep, and then like you can one. share your advice. So the first one I uh, wrote was um, a hypothetical case. So this is not based on anyone real. Um, apologies to anyone if uh, if it sounds like a real case, but um, uh, uh, it, uh, it is actually made up. So imagine you have a 50-year-old woman who's on your list and she's scheduled to undergo a laparoscopic hysterectomy and you see her in the preoperative area. Um, so the first question I have for you, Sonia, is uh, what sort of issues or history would you do you recommend we should explore to identify if this patient uh, is at risk of perioperative pain issues? So it's sort of a pretty standard sort of patient you'll see in the OBS and Gaini world.
0: Um, so I think, Roger, that most of the people listening to this podcast will be involved in anaesthesia and theatre cases regularly in some way or shape or form. So um, most of that population group will be well aware of the risk factors for increased post-operative pain. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's a whole long list of them, but many of them relate to poorly controlled pre-existing pain or uh, poorly co- controlled mental health disorders such as anxiety or depression. Um, I think the way that a patient is thinking about their surgery so their mindset going into the surgery and their expectations are also very important whether they have realistic expectations or whether they're uh, magnifying the negative effects or even positive uh, effects of what the surgery could offer them um, can have a huge impact on their pain experience post-operatively. So I think you know the the issues and the history that I personally like to focus on I like to ask questions about controllable preoperative risk factors so yep. there are plenty of risk factors that we can't control so the fact that this uh, hypothetical patient is female her age um, even the surgery that she's had been booked for there's just not really much that we can change about that so you know the things that I like to focus on are you know is there a history of pre-existing pain conditions like uh, uh, does she suffer with migraines or widespread pain or long-term pelvic pain how well controlled is this Um, what medications does she take how does she cope who's looking after her and also is there a pre-existing history of mental health disease anxiety depression and how well controlled is that does she get suicidal does she have panic attacks does she have a psychologist or a psychiatrist and then the next thing which i think is really important that um we don't always maybe think about is how what does she expect to get out of the surgery? How bad does she think the pain will be post-operatively? And, and then I, I like to do a little bit of education around that.
1: That sounds good. So I think um, in this hypothetical case, I write down that um, she has got a number of concerning risk factors. So she tells you that the surgery has, has been booked because she has had uh, long-term pelvic pain and they're hoping that the, that maybe the hysterectomy will help with that. And that she has been taking non uh, nonsteroidals and tramadol for intermittently for this pelvic pain for years. And she has, does have a history of a depression and anxiety. She smokes and she has had difficulty giving up her smoking, so a little mm-hmm. bit of substance use mm-hmm. disorder, though mm-hmm. nothing too serious, well, no hard drugs. And um, So my next question was, um, how are you going to explain to her the plan for the perioperative pain management? What, are, what are, should be our goals be and what strategies do you use to manage your expectations? I think you've already touched on that, but uh, any yeah. other?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, after we sort of established rapport and talked about um, how well she's been dealing with her current pain, um, I think it's important to ex- uh, express, validate her pain. These patients are often sick of people telling them that the uh, pain is in their head or it's made up or and they're sick of people telling them that they're actually all going to be okay and everything will be all right because there's a bit of a lack of faith there, um, yep. especially if things haven't been okay or haven't been all right leading up to this surgery. So um strategies initially that I use you know obviously you know basic active listening and empathy and and validate how they're feeling to start with and then I and then I launch into the education so I talk to them about you know how, I give a basic, you know, less than 1 minute sort of explanation of how central
1: sensitization
0: occurs. Yep. Um, and that that's happened to them that their is nerves there any sort have of a memory. Phrases
1: that you, yeah, you so that's really well. Or yeah, yeah. so you know?
0: so what I say is look, um, yeah, I totally understand that you you're in a lot of pain and this is do you, has anyone ever explained to you why this is happening to you? And if the answer is no, I tell them you know, it might have started with initial trauma, and that's usually t- tissue trauma, but it doesn't have to be because our nervous system is connected to our emotional system as well. Yep. So emotional trauma can be involved and often is in pelvic pain. Um, And, you know, what it, what happens is your nerves actually can change on a molecular level. We can't always see it. It's invisible, but um, you do get sensitized, and your nerves get angry, and they get red, and they have a memory. Yep. So that then if you try anything on them, they will arc up much more easily than if they weren't red or angry. And I think most people tend to understand that, and they tend to identify with that. So I say what we're going to do is we're going to work on trying to reduce those red and angry nerves and make them less angry, make them more blue. So there's things that we can do as doctors, there's drugs that we can use, and there's things that you can do as a person as well for yourself. And then usually, you know, you've got them listening here and interested, and, and then you can launch into some things that they can do.
1: Okay, that's good. Mm. Um, really good. So, um, I like that. I'm going to use that. So, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, the red and blue. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I've well, got many, many. Although, we don't think, don't image. like the word
1: blue because that usually. Yeah, I, I usually <laughs> think right. people are cyanotic, and I try to avoid that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The tiny nerves, mm. tiny <laughs> nerves, not the whole body.
1: <laughs> um, So,. Um, so the next thing, uh, so we've already talked about um, my next question, which was advice regarding communication. So what? Are, what? Are, I guess there are some other things that uh, you've said not to um, tell them that everything's going to be okay and, and to um, validate their, uh, you know, acknowledge that they have pain and get rapport, but are there any other things that you shouldn't do? Um, what, yeah. are, what about non-verbal strategies, you know, so sometimes yeah. you say stuff, but... Um, if they look at you and you get got your arms crossed or, I don't know, what, what sort of... I don't you know, think it do you, matters so much
0: if you... I mean, people, we, you know, it's p- fairly common knowledge that having your arms crossed or your legs crossed are, are defensive positions. So, um, you know, walking into a consultation with that, you know. But it could also mean that you're cold. It could also mean that you're mirror, mirroring the person um, yep. that you're with, which is actually a positive sign for body language. So I think um, I don't think too much about my body language, I guess. It isn't um, it isn't on the forefront of my mind. Um, more what I'm, I try and gauge is how the patient is responding to me yep. and what I'm saying and then adjust what I'm saying to that. If I feel like there's a complete disconnect, I'll ask them, um, how do you feel about this? Like. You know, or do you understand what I'm saying, or do you feel like I'm explaining things correct, like well enough? You yep. know, um, Get some feedback. So, advice that I would um, give about communication, especially with um, patients with really complex pain, patients that might be difficult, with poorly controlled mental health issues, um, and, and you know, you're uh, approaching this maybe on the back foot. So things that you can do, well, things I've already talked about, like empathetic listening and, you know, um, validating the feelings, but there's also things that you should not do. Um, I don't think that um, you should give in to their every demand. Um, I, I yep. think that while we we say we are going to do everything we can to control your pain, um, I have often said that that does not include certain options. So... Um, and the reason we are establishing these boundaries is because of your safety and because of your long-term well-being that we're thinking about. Um, also, yeah, things that maybe might help um, are not so much the words that you choose, but your tone is quite important yes. when you talk yep. to someone. A lo- a, that's, that's, that's a verbal thing, but it's, <laughs> it's sort of a subconscious thing as well. Yeah. People often uh, can accept the exact same words in a different tone
1: yeah i agree yep. so they can sort of get the vibe if to, to use them what was that movie the castle the whole, <laughs> yeah. the whole vibe of the thing yeah exactly uh, <laughs> the whole vibe you could of be the saying exactly is, the, the things that you've been taught but if yeah. uh, if they get the vibe that you don't like them more you're, yeah you're yeah and there's plenty
0: of examples yeah. of if the same <clears> sentence in the english language being said about five different ways and being able to interpret that five different ways so,
1: yeah, and it, it depends how you set things up too. So if you walk into the room smiling and sort of, I, I gently sort of touch people on the shoulder and say, how are you going? You yeah. know, I'm going to be looking after you today. Yeah. Anything you worry about sort of thing. You know, just spend 30 seconds making them think, oh, this person's you know, a little bit empathetic towards me and yeah. is not a bad person. Yeah. Then um, you can you can ask them a few sort of challenging questions and they don't don't take offence instantly. hmm um, doesn't always work if someone uh, has decided before they arrive that they're uh, upset with you or the hospital or whatever. But um, that's right. Usually that's it helps. Right, Yeah. Um, I can't remember if I was going to ask any specific pharmacological things. So I mean, I, mean, I reckon those things are really important. But some, what about um, how do you explain to them? So specifically, like for example, a lap, uh, laparoscopy that takes a couple of hours. You know, the surgeon's going to pump them full of CO2 and they generally are going to wake up with a sore tummy. Yeah, and so no this is something that inside, I spend I like a bit to of time and, yeah. Yeah, talking to them, to expect that. them
0: through. So I, I start with um, expectations and I certainly have had patients that come in and, and not infrequently tell me I expect to be completely pain-free when I wake up. And that's yeah, something that's that I address straight up. I just yep. say, look, that's... Unfortunately, that's what we'd love to do, but that's pretty unrealistic with the current, you know, situation. Um, I'd say, you know, your nerves are a bit sensitized, so anything we do to them, they might arc up a little bit more and have an exaggerated response. You're going to have a little bit of tissue injury. It is keyhole surgery, so it's not um, massive t- tissue injury, but there will be some. So having your pain, if we have your pain exactly at the same level as it is now, um, that's a pretty good. Yeah. If it's a little bit worse, that's also okay. It might get a little bit worse before it gets better. But what we're going to do to try and reduce it are uh, give you all of these different things. So, And, and yep. if you want me to, I can go into all the different drugs that we can use. And I offer that to them sometimes too.
1: Yeah, it's good. Now, I've only just started doing this as well, but I think it is important because it's almost impossible to, to, to get someone to wake up with no pain. Correct, Usually, yeah. if they do, they have to go to a high dependency without, ward without or, or close uh, respiratory monitoring risk. for two days, and everyone gets grumpy with you. Yeah, it.
0: that's right. Uh, <laughs> uh,
1: because you've given them um, narcotic toxicity, and they're, body not bre- they're not breathing. Yes. So, um, <laughs> uh, so I've stopped trying to aim for that, and uh, and and uh, yeah, that's really good, useful to say. You know, that's not the end of the world. Expect it to be a bit uncomfortable, and I just sort of try and focus on function, saying we're trying to. Uh, the gas will dissolve; it'll go away. The pain will get better. And mm. we just want you to be able to breathe and cough and get, yeah, up, and get, get up, and up. and move Yeah, and get up and move because yeah. that's really important. And your your, important. your job is to get up and around. and yeah, get, yeah. get home.
0: Yeah. Yep, absolutely.
1: All right, I think we've um, covered it. any 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 other comments uh, before we move on. I think we've got another case that I wrote. Uh,
0: um, I just yeah, might, I do I think have a you comment. Have some other stuff, don't you? Yeah, I do have a comment. What I wanted to um, point out was that uh, I've had a, a lot of anaesthetists. Um, Sort of comment that, you know, the chronic pain patients are really easy to recognize, that that you can just spot them from a mile away. And I think maybe there is a little bit of confusion between chronic pain and someone with very poorly controlled mental health illness. Someone with very poorly controlled mental health illness is often um, quite easy to spot because they often um, have neglected their self-care for some time. Whereas someone who has chronic pain um, is in a slightly different category. There, are, there is a lot of overlap. I'll, ad- I'll, um, I'll admit that. But um, you know, here I've got some examples of well-known people that suffered with persistent yep. post-surgical pain right. um, bring, who appear to be very highly functioning. You would not spot them. You would might not recognise them, and you might not pick it up if you didn't ask the question.
1: So, this is following the theme from last time. We, we used a lot of the celebrities in our last uh, episode. Didn't That's we? right. You you've started the trend, Roger. I'm just
0: continuing it. So, um, uh, many people will be familiar with Rebecca Judd, who yeah. very publicly on her um, social media profile talked about, and I think in a public interview, talked about how she suffered after a cesarean and had um, persistent post surgical pain, essentially. Um, and she's not someone that you would have maybe looked at and thought, She's got chronic pain. Yep. Um, because she Definitely looks very not. well put together. You know, photos are always picture perfect. So, and they're often high functioning. People like Grant Denyer, you know, always yes, right. pictured yep. in a tuxedo holding his Logie Awards. Not someone that you would look at and think, he's got chronic pain, he's suffering. So, um, you know, people like Prince that we brought up in our last podcast.
1: Yes, that's right. So he had lots of um, persistent pain following orthopedic problems. Didn't yeah. He? In, uh, yeah, and these be.
0: are not necessarily people with poorly controlled mental health illnesses at all. They're, in fact, very highly functioning members of um, society or were. Um, so those, that does not protect you. And um, even um, someone like Serena Williams, who's extremely fit and well, um, that doesn't protect you either. And she came out publicly and talked about how she found it difficult. What sort of did have? Yeah, because I'm not familiar So she with that had a baby and um, talked about uh, uh, having lots of complications afterwards and right. lots of pain and, yeah. So, look, it doesn't, yeah, being fit and well, being young, being well put together, um, being highly functioning doesn't actually protect you all the time. Um, it's much more about um, what happens to you, your tissue trauma, how your nerves react and what your mindset is going into
1: surgery. Yep. Okay. Very useful. Okay, so... Um, what we might do is, um, stop there and, uh, I'm going to, um, do another short quiz for this, um, <laughs> um, this episode. Mm-hmm. So, uh, this is going to be another, I'm trying to, I'm trying to put together quizzes where people can't just Google the answer. So that usually, <laughs> that usually means it has to be an image, um, cause anything, anything that, um, involves, um, something that you can type into the Google search bar is too um, easy. pretty much too easy. Yeah. So, mm. so this week I'm going to do a version. I want to give, um. Acknowledgement to many years ago when I was at Royal Perth, I think they had a um, uh, an interview a Christmas quiz, and one of the categories or one of the um, uh, sections of the quiz was um, anesthetist or serial killer, and so I thought I'd um, <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd do a flashback to that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put an image on, up on the, uh, on the on the on the on wow. the blog site and I'm showing it to Sonia right now. So um, so yeah, so the first part of the first uh, part of the quiz the I'm quiz is, is this person an anaesthetist or a serial killer?
0: I'm going to say anaesthetist.
1: And, and then uh, if you know who they are, I don't that, that will be even better. Is. So you get like um, one point if you get the um, anaesthetist or serial killer part correct. You get 10 points if you figure out who it is. Uh, there you go. All right.
0: <laughs> it's a very good picture, folks. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs>
1: okay. Thanks, Sonia. I'm going to um, get you back for another. We're going to do another one in a second. Thanks. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please go to the iTunes menu and subscribe to the show if you like it. Write a review. This will also help us uh, get seen by other listeners on the iTunes menu. If you're also interested, please go to our website at www.obsandguinecretcare.org where there will be lots of show notes and links to uh, interesting videos related to the topic that you've just listened to. See you again next time.